Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gayatri. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. In this episode, you will hear from Rutunjay Singh, Senior Vice President, Infosys, talking about his start of his journey from Tata Steel to very different roles within Infosys, Axids, as well as creating unique perspective to technology and how teams can create wonders. He also talks about having self-belief and ensuring that there are closed feedback loops right at a as a software engineer to a ceo listen on hi munjay i love our interactions when we were in infosys and welcome to software people stories podcast thank you gayatri thanks for having me what you guys are doing is very interesting so it's great to be here look forward to having an interesting discussion we normally start right at how you got uh, yourself started in the technology journey before we do that can you give a quick introduction on what you do currently sure 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 so my job is little different than a regular uh, job that people do as you know i've always done all kind of things uh, for the company currently looking at profitability across the company and i work directly with uh, cxos on uh, ensuring that different things are being done with the right balance of uh, cost and uh, profitability wow that sounds amazing that sounds like one of those key consulting firms uh, jobs to uh, get the understand profitability and increase top line and uh, bottom line very cool yeah yeah it's just that i am inside the company <laughs> <laughs> so tell tell me about how the your journey started software yeah. what were your passions when you got started uh, interesting see i was in a steel company uh, i started after graduation i started in a steel company uh, steel is a very hard industry I mean, that's where i you know went to shop floor and started to work on things then I realized there are a lot of computing devices now i was an electronics engineer so i started to play with computing devices from hardware side very soon i realized that software in 92 93 was getting pretty strong in terms of managing plant operations so i started to dabble in software there at tata steel and then i thought if software is so interesting why don't i go and look for a job in a software company out of just a desire to learn software i ended up in uh, at infosys in 1995 and then i went through a regular training and i got and that's what jump started so when i joined infosys a lot of people used to talk about mainframe non mainframe Uh, to me everything was good because i was coming from a plc programming so when you program on plc and cnc mainframe is latest technology and i remember everybody used to tell me don't worry about mainframe but when i look back today most of the tech evolution today if you look at the concept has been there in mainframe the concept of cloud computing the concept of virtual space concept of sharing servers concept of you know threading uh, of a program so a lot of these have already been done in the mainframe world because mainframe was designed for large scale computers so thankfully my computing fundamentals have became very strong because of the fact that i worked on the mainframe and there were not many tools those days so you know you have to re- worry about coding of the register itself that whether the register should not overflow if your program is above more than 16 mb in memory so there are a lot of things that we learn very good uh, you know computer fundamentals thanks to the mainframe exposure Then of course, four years later, I you know, like everybody else, we start to get into 
clients and my tech. My passion still is, uh, what I really like to do is uh, get details. And I love to know things at a great detail. And then to be able to go back up at a, you know, at a forest level and take, take calls. And that's what I am you know, really passionate about. How can I impact larger ecos- ecosystem or a larger thing by knowing details, not just by doing superficial. So that's my real passion and that's what I love doing. It is it comes in very handy in the job I do. That sounds like an amazing start. Sorry for Tata Steel, but good for the Indian software industry. You were instrumental in winning one of the largest deals for Infosys uh, in 2004 timeframe. It was also in many of the press releases. What are your reflections now thinking 16 years back? How did it happen? You are talking about attention to detail, relationships and everything like that. You know, when I look back to the year 2004, not many people, I mean, India did not have outsourcing deal. We were the first one. I wouldn't say first one. I think there was a small company which had signed outsourcing deal in 95. But uh, there was no large scale outsourcing deal happening in India. In a way, it was good because we didn't know. None of my team knew. We were all very young. I was like nine years out of college, uh, trying to bid on a $2 billion contract. At that time, I don't think my team even knew how to write $2 billion. You know, we were all project managers and, you know, the young guys. And one of my guys was like, remember his name, Navaneel. He was, he was the analyst at that time. And he used to write the most complex governance. And when I took him in a meeting uh, along with, uh, with the customer, the IBM asked him, the IBM guy who was there for designing governance, he asked us, so he looked at me and says, you are too young for her to do this. I said, no, no, it's not me. It's actually now Neil. He looked at him and he says, how old are you, my son? And he says, I'm 34 or something. And the guy says, oh, I have 34 years of experience. <laughs> so, so I told him, yeah, it's good that you have 34 years. Let's look at how to run this contract. And he was amazed with the depth that we had brought. I think the good thing is the team was very young. We did a lot of innovation because we didn't know how to do things. So we, we reimagined with the way outsourcing is done. Uh, multi-vendor sourcing was very new. At that time, it was like a, you give to one vendor. And we, in, as you know, Infosys was putting uh, huge uh, thought leadership on modular sourcing. And we reinvented a lot of things in modular sourcing. We created operational agreement between two service providers. It was unheard of. Nobody had heard of two service providers to the same customer signing a contract each, with each other that will we'll deliver a slice of a service line. So it was a it was an amazing experience to do. We were clear from the day we got in. First four weeks, we had we were clueless. We had no idea what to do. Then one day we just sat and Parag and Rekha and Dakshis and a couple of us, and we said, look, we can't just sit there and say, look, we don't know how to do this. So in seven days, we wrote our proposal, the entire 1,200 pages of proposal. And in the entire proposal, they had just three places that the customer could pinpoint saying, hey, this doesn't add up. So to writing a world-class, extraordinary proposal with a team of people who had no idea. And then when we start, and the customer started to get such a confidence that within a year, customer used to call us saying, hey, these guys are agreeing to this. Do you guys think it's the right thing? And we used to tell him, no, it's, it's a bad idea. I don't know what they're thinking. You can't have agreement on something that can't do it. So the confidence that the customer built and the way we went about doing that was an amazing experience. Uh, even now and then, I hear a lot of people in our company use that template <laughs> that we had created 15 years ago. So it's a great feeling to be able to do something pioneering for the Indian IT industry at that time. I think this was the first large scale, like hundreds of millions of dollar contract. I remember in 2005, uh, BBC ran a story uh, that how Indian IT for the first time is getting into the big league. And I think it was TCSS and even Putney had a small role into that. Uh, there was like, of course, a big story in 2005. Uh, interesting experience. It taught me a couple of things. One, 
you don't need to know a lot of things to do things uh, don't worry about what you know or what you don't know you need to be confident and you need to reimagine the way things are being done and the secondly it's extremely important to have confidence in your team it doesn't matter where they come from where whether they are successful in the prior stint or not my entire team was built of people who are assembled uh, none of them worked with me before that uh, you have to have a confidence that they can do the they will do the right thing and Uh, the third very important thing which i realized that uh, my biggest learning in that was meritocratization of ideas is extremely important if you're running a team don't make it hierarchical don't say you know i'm the boss i decide what is good for the good for the team or what is good for the customer ideas come from people which are very different we had one guy who would drop a slide before making a slide and nobody thought that's a skill we thought you know what's the big deal about doing that but when we are when you are high pressure and you have to take one pick present to cxo of a bank 2 billion dollar deal what you are trying to convey and that comes in extremely handy so the kind of skills people bring to just be aware of that make sure all ideas are pulled in i think that was my biggest learning out of extremely well put mujay you're talking about from a building a team trusting them as well as empowering them to do the best and we keep talking about cross functional uh, team in the software development it is the same across right it's it's a it is not just for uh, software you look absolutely. at those patterns in every high performing team absolutely absolutely any team i mean it doesn't have to be software any team you look at whether it's governance whether it's cross functional you need to have get the people empower them make them believe that they can walk on the water and then trust them if you can trust them they will walk on the water and i think that is the magic you can create if you are convinced that you were chasing a higher goal if it is just about doing a job i don't think we'll be able to do that we were definitely chasing a higher goal all of us knew that if we do this it will be the first for indian it at that scale so that goal was bigger than the job that was bigger than even in and i was part of the development that deal and it was phenomenal when it came i remember the due diligence document due diligence had almost uh, if there were uh, almost 120 columns to describe each application and the existing teams uh, who have been there with the bank for almost <laughs> 15 20 years they didn't know they they used to come and ask what is this document <laughs> and that I'll tell you tell information tell gathering about, weeks <laughs> i'll tell you a story about due diligence so there were like 10 10 suppliers put in due diligence room and all of us were like next to each other it was very interesting because there was like the big guys the big five at that time the ibms and accentures the world the us and indian ig and of of the indian it i think only tcs guys spending some time inside the room and all the other guys i remember during the lunch break they will come out and look at us and say don't you guys get bored what are you guys doing inside <laughs> so they used to think that there's nothing to do whereas our team was going going with every document that was put and the amount of requests we used to send to the bank saying yeah i need to look at this content they were like i mean it's like we don't have this no no we need to take a look at this so the detail we went into was amazing i mean there was a you know an experience you know when we started when it came out and when we delivered the document the bank said we are learning stuff about our own our own bank so it was very 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 interesting changing gear you were a head of pune development center for uh, before your stint outside of infosys right so i know in pune dc grew huge in terms of infrastructure in terms of the kind of marquee clients that you were having talk us about that well, it was very good i think we, at that time it was around 2009 to 12 we were around 25000 people so fairly large center i mean uh, it had become almost the largest uh, from a headcount perspective the largest center outside of in india for infosys it was fairly large in terms of operations complexity was huge 
also because we were the biggest in hinjawadi so i also uh, that time i took over uh, presidentship of hinjawadi industry association because he realized that if i have to run a setup uh, as large as, as infosys was at that time 25000 people i exist in the ecosystem that ecosystem needs to be also taken along so that's how i ended up at hia and it was very interesting because we worked very very closely with government we solved a lot of problems in that area you know the roads used to i mean people still complain about traffic there but you know those days it was like one single road so we got roads built we got alternate power lines built we got alternate water supply built we did a lot of stuff we worked very closely with the community around because we believe that it can't be just about going to work and there's a villages nearby we went to the school and we rebuilt the school and process foundation donated uh, 50% and the remaining 50% were raised by employees of Pune Center. So there was like rebuilding an entire school for a village. It's a huge project. At that time, it was worth more than one CR. And we raised half of that money by employees and the employees went there and participated. So it rallied people around a larger cause. It also gave a sense of community. That if you're in an ecosystem, it's not just, you can't just do a job. You be in a nice house, get in a car, go to office and live in a bubble. There is a world outside of our bubble. Oceans are very conscious uh, social people. So we tapped them to this and we got them outside and we started to get engaged in a lot of community work. So I think it was very good. We were able to tie through any challenges uh, which people have experienced. Typically when you have industrial areas, there's a lot of conflict around, but we were able to manage all of that very, very comfortably. I think people were extremely, extremely cooperative with us and we were you know, very helpful. We worked closely with them. Uh, so it's a, it was a very different experience. And running such a large center in terms of scale, get people, if you're rolling out something, then there's a huge amount of people to you know, communicate. How do you communicate to like you know, thousands and thousands of people about something that we want to roll out? So it's a very interesting learning. I cut my teeth in not just handling scale, uh, but also about community. I think that is a, my valuable experience. Uh, you know, that helps even today. I get involved with, a, we have a trust that we do a lot of social work. Seeds of that was started in, in 2009-10. Uh, when I was uh, running the center. I didn't realize that it was, I thought you were going to talk about more from a recruitment perspective, people development perspective, cultural changes perspective. It is a lot more than that, right? It's an ecosystem development and creating a sense of purpose and unity. See, those, those to me are table stakes, right? I mean, if you're running a large center, you have to ensure that people are motivated now. But I, I strongly believe that, you know, unless people have something bigger to look after, if you're, you know, if you're just doing your job, then you can only do add so much value to whatever you're trying to. If you're doing something beyond that, uh, then your job becomes richer. You, you actually end up doing things that you never thought. You know, I'll give a simple example. The sense of belonging to a community and the fact that there is a larger population outside, which is, which is not so privileged like people in the tech world, you start to realize and count your blessings that you have because you are in a technology world. I mean, that's a huge change. You know, the perception that, oh my God, I'm missing something to say, oh my God, I have so much, right? That's a huge mindset shift. And now if I just focus on trying to tell people that it won't, it's not going to work. Uh, what will work is if they go out and see and they can contribute. And the reality is uh, India is still evolving. I mean, we have a lot more to do and, and I'm glad. I'm so happy to see the youngsters, the amount of uh, time, energy and resources they invest. And this has been consistent even in 2009 i used to see that i, I see this even today the youngsters are extremely extremely positive about india they go out there they, they invest their time energy resources and ensure that the rest of community comes up and that i think is the biggest value that we can we can derive out of a young population that is working in a tech world yeah and uh, counting your blessings if we count our blessings i think uh, cosmos will help us 
if we contribute to somebody i think that's a it's a it's a circle right it keeps coming back absolutely absolutely and talking of software deals right how has that changed i know we talk about api dynamics cloud migration becoming smaller teams everything is becoming smaller and smaller right smaller is becoming beautiful we we speak about microservices saas products that are available how is that transitioning how are you seeing it from your perspective Well, a lot of things have changed. One is, and of course, in the last two months, things have changed. <laughs> so, tech is a very rapidly changing world, right? Discretionary budgets are fine, but are gone for a toss in the last two months because people are like, hey, if I survive, I'll worry about all this, you know, fancy digital stuff. Let me just survive my business. So, the evolution has been, I think we went from monolithic, large deal, single sourcing to modular sourcing. And now we are talking about what I call, I think, fill uses or horses for courses. And I think we are in that era of horses for courses. If you as an organization or a, or a supplier or a partner, if you can bring the right value for that particular customer, then they'll be keen to partner with you. They'll be keen to look at you from a size or a scale perspective, which might be different. And if you can't do that, then they will just use horses for courses. They'll give you, uh, yeah, you can do a great design. I'll give you a design work to do. And then I move on to find somebody to do me scale. Uh, because end of the day enterprise business is not just about doing exotic stuff it also has to do all those lights on and cloud also i think has dramatically changed earlier cloud was more about computing experience that can i bring my computing past now it's not just about computing experience can i change my if i put data and, and analytics together can i change my you know the kind of use cases that i'm, I'm going to solve uh, when my data is on the cloud so that kind of thing is completely different now and the deals are being cut like that so the sizes are shrinking Uh, but at the same time what they want to do is if you are predictable and you can handle scale they'll give you a lot of small things to do and that's where the large players can play so large players are saying hey i am a great company because i understand your domain i can cut all slices of work that you want to do but i can do it like a factory and that factorization of digital uh, services is what uh, i see going they call this as a pod design in the agile world you have multiple yes. pods of pod work and then you actually fractalize it and say okay this is the quantum Correct. of work and you continue Correct. to deliver Correct. when when we look at such delivery right what are the metrics that you look at as a leadership seeing that okay, earlier we used to call this rag indicators right red amber green at a large program that makes sense but when you look at it as a smaller one and which is more and more they are getting aggregated how do you really cut it as a leader and say are we doing the right thing are we doing going in the right direction so it's very interesting because when my stint outside i i did we had only agile team there was no waterfall okay so it was very interesting experience because i had gone from a waterfall world to a completely agile company now you know typical agile experiences people start to look at standard metrics of burn chart and all that okay but to me that is an, just an effort okay it's just an effort how much effort are you burning the basic assumption is that everybody is able to produce the same engineering quality my learning was that as long as you are working with a small team which is proven quality of engineers then you can look at that kind of metrics but if you are if your engineering is also about you know learning domain and trying to implement something new then you have to focus on engineering metrics which a lot of teams are not able to do that so my focus in fact you know we run a program called engineering excellence where we say we look at a metric which is relevant for the customer an engineering metric and then we work backwards to say what are the changes you need to bring into tools processes technology to be able to orchestrate an outcome 
which is relevant, engineering outcome which is relevant to that particular. Even if it is agile, you have to essentially focus on engineering metrics. I'll give an example. Uh, let's say I have built a great platform. It's fantastic. It works in a particular geography. But maybe it's not designed around onboarding regulation of new countries. So every time I roll out in a new country, I run into quality issues. Right? One way to look at this, oh, my platform works fantastic. There's no problem. But my customer, let's say if the customer is rolling out in a new country and every time the customer runs into problem, then their experience around the engineering quality is based on every time they onboard a new country, which means every time they go for a new revenue, they have a problem with the platform. Right? Now, this is something which no, people will not normally think about to fix it. But when I look at that, we say, oh, this must be fixed. That You may have to go back and change your architecture of the platform itself because you may not have made it modular enough to load new regulations seamlessly because regulations are not just a file, right? The bunch of things that needs to change in your code platform. So how do you re-architect, re even if required, the platform itself? So the engineering quality cannot be compromised on the name of Agile. The other thing is, you know, I mean, this is something a customer of mine told us. Hey, you can't use Lego blocks to build a rocket. He said, it's very interesting because a lot of people are using Agile thinking, I can build all kind of complex systems using Agile. No, you can't. You have to take, you know, like, so for example, if I want to build a car, I'll take engine and build it separately. I'll take my main platform and build that separate. Maybe my agility will be how quickly I'm able to assemble my engine on top of a platform and ship the car. But I will not try to build my engine and the platform simultaneously in the same team. It's, it's a bad idea because you'll end up messing up both. So I think Agile is also, I'm safe and a couple of other have created platform or a process for enterprise Agile. You can do that, but what is called infrastructurally important components need to be built separately. And you can't do it like every day, let's do a release. That doesn't work like that. You have to be really able to look at the components and say, okay, this is like sound base. The basis needs to be built. Then you build on top of that. If we, once you've created a platform, you can do incremental. So Agile is good for incremental, hard to visualize systems. But if I know very clearly what I want to build, then you better build it in a very robust manner and not do like an incremental release. So, that distinction is very important and I think engineering has changed a lot today because of the uncertainty. People are not able to figure out, I mean, I can fully understand. I don't know how my users will interact on a device because my device could become different by the time I roll it out. And next year, maybe it will be very different. You know, three years ago, Amazon or Google Talk was like the most exciting thing in the world. Today, people are not necessarily using that much. Maybe that thing will come in the phone itself. So how do I talk to my phone and interact? Uh, what if my interface is just my audio of a system? So I think a lot of things will keep changing. So it's important that we build agile, but then infrastructure components need to be built, uh, you know, like a horizontal thing. So that engineering, focus engineering metrics is very important. There are two stories that are coming to my mind. One is when Amazon Echo was built, they said, I will ensure that, that the hardware device is the best, how much ever time it takes. And the software I can keep building, then I will right. keep adding on to it and it's easier for me to right. change it. Right. While the infrastructure, in India is the Echo hardware was the infrastructure. That I can't change very often. I can't keep saying you bring it back and the customer. And the same thing with the, uh, Tesla was brought out. They said they are able to make software changes on an overnight basis. At the same time, right. the hardware right. of it cannot change. Right. So that it's important for uh, organizations to think. Sometimes I, when I coach, I always think, okay, what is it that you want to achieve in three months? Measure that and keep Correct. making those incremental changes. Uh, rather than talking about functional, we, we keep talking about, oh, my regression percentage is 90%. How often are you using it? How often Correct. are you running it to derive Correct. ROI? That is Correct. important measure than not just saying, okay, I'm at 90%. Correct. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. What, how do you think your role is transforming in shaping tomorrow's software? I know from a team perspective, we spoke about uh, uh, looking, helping them enable walking on water, right? That uh, compared to what the customer needs in, in future, how is that kind of translating? Your mind. I think thanks to Corona, right? I think uh, it's a great opportunity for us to reimagine uh, the way services gets delivered. And the way we are looking at it is, you know, rather than saying X percentage will be remote, uh, somebody who will have a flexibility, we're saying you start with the assumption that everything is remote. Now, now you assemble back saying what needs to come to a particular physical location. Okay, so that's one dimension, a physical location dimension. The another dimension is about whether you are. A permanent versus a gig economy. Now, gig economy has taken off in the last few years thanks to a lot of product companies. Now, gig, gig economy has not hit the enterprise in such a big fashion. But I think this corona thing has shown that you can actually integrate gig economy into large-scale enterprise services. And so one is physical space transformation. Uh, other is this whole uh, workforce transformation. And third, I think will be dramatically changed is the, is the collaboration slash continuity of things. For example, you know, and this is still early days hypothesis. The reason we need a lot of oversight is because there is a time gap of monitoring that people have on the work which is being performed. So you need people to say, and I've done WBS, I need to check, you know, every day progress, plan, replan, do the risk management, etc. But if you are continuously plugged into something, then do I need that much of extra? Because then if I have a self-managed teams, then the need for oversight should come down. Now, at this stage, this is an hypothesis, right? But I think eventually it will play out and how it will happen, we'll see. But these three dimensions are very, very deep because it will transform. Now, imagine having a tech company running out of India, able to hire programmers in Lithuania without having a physical space. And maybe they're a gig economy and you can plug that right in the middle of your complex service delivery that you're doing, and then they go out, right? Now, both in terms of quality of service delivery, also in terms of cost of service delivery, a lot of things can transform if you, if you do that. Plus, if I can bring down my cost of oversight, if I hire a self-managed team and I make my team self-managed, my cost of oversight will come down. So if you, if you do these three things right, if you are able to do that, this will completely transform. If you look at today, India is around few cities in terms of tech, right? So we have Bangalore, Pune, Chennai, Hyderabad, tier two, tier three towns. Uh, to me, it can be pervasive across India. You could be in Madurai, right? Not having and working for a company which doesn't have presence there. And you'll be as plugged in using technology as anyone else. And maybe, you know, once a week or once a month, you'll go to a Chennai place and say, hey, I'm here today and I want to do certain things and then I'll go back. So I think it'll transform completely. This has created a tremendous opportunity for organization to reinvent enterprise service delivery. And that's what, you know, we are looking at. We are looking at all these models. We're trying to think through as you know, uh, we don't do anything which is hard back. Thinking through all of that, and we have started to, we are not just thinking through, we started to do piloting and start to do things around that. When it becomes like an offering and when it becomes like a market, I think it will be transformational for the industry. So it will completely change the way industry is, is being done today. So you're talking about from a workforce management, a physical space management, as well as creating a space where people can come in, finish it and go and doing a self-organized. I don't know whether you've read this book, um, World is Flat by Thomas Friedman that was yeah. fired by Nandan Ilkeni's one interview. In fact, the last three months, I feel things have become a lot more flatter than it was. Absolutely. I can feel that, you know, yeah, for example, earlier that my, uh, the consulting firm uh, for, for whom I'm doing right now, they felt that everybody has to be in person to deliver. 
now you see almost uh, eight nine percent productivity has increased. Where everybody is doing on their own, and ten member team is uh, in three locations because they've all gone to their native and so on and so forth in the current situation. So a lot of the erstwhile where we thought our own assumptions have been completely shattered, and it is making us rethink. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a uh, changing economy. I think uh, we are also have to keep changing our perspective and, and breaking our assumptions. Talk to us about your turning points in your career. What has you want to share some uh, for our listeners? What would they be? Uh, my first turning point, I think I used to work for, I was in US and there was a customer of mine who was working with a large company. They were trying to build a payment system for three months. And they, they came to me and said, uh, can you build this in uh, two weeks, not two months? So my first reaction was, I usually always say yes, and then I figure out how to do it. So I told the guy, yeah, yes, absolutely. And my boss looked at me and says, you've lost your mind. How can you build something in two weeks? And my reaction was, uh, two weeks means 14 days. He didn't realize that. He was like, two weeks means 10 days, because that's like Monday to Friday. I said, no, no, two weeks means 14 days. And it was a Friday, so I added one more day. So I said, like, 15 days is good enough. And we assembled a team, and we built a payment system, and we went to install in the data center. In that data center, it's like, if, and that was my first experience in a data center. The noise is extremely high. You can't sit there. And uh, we tried to install the payment system for Latin American countries. And the guy who had given us the spec, he got on the phone and says, I'm sorry, I messed up. I gave you the wrong spec. And they were like, excuse me, you gave me a wrong spec? And he said, yeah, I'm sorry about it. And this client of mine said, oh, buddy, tough luck. You know, let's go back. So me and there was a guy called Ravi. I think he's in another company today. He's in Australia. Ravi and I sat there and Ravi said, Munjay, I just need 12 hours. Just give me overnight. Product which was built in two weeks, which is supposed to be built in three months. This two of us, we sat there in the data center and we fixed it. And next day it worked on a spec which was changed. That changed my thinking. I mean, that I started to realize that it's not about scale, it's not about size. Technology is a lot more about innovation. If you can get to that core of innovation, that's why when I look over the outsourcing deal, I never had any doubt that I can't do it. A lot of people thought that, you know, we're still trying to figure out. But in my mind, that came from that experience that I had six years ago when I was in the U.S. So those, you know, when you go through that kind of experience, then things like, then you realize that it's about rethinking. Every customer, every transaction, every application, everything that we are doing, Essentially, we are looking at details and trying to rethink how to do things. That's what technology is about. So today, what is called digital, right? Digital is nothing but a rethinking the way you can generate revenue, the way you can change the cost structure, or the way you can find new market. That's what digital is, right? So if you can rethink, if you can just sit back and relook at the way it is being done and redesign that, I mean, you, you can be a technologist. And that's why today's world, people who are not a programmer, can do great job of technologies. Right? There are a lot of people out in the world who are doing fantastic work because they can reimagine things. And thankfully, the tools have become easier to reimagine. So my turning point came in those incidents and those transactions. I've been fortunate. I've had a lot of mentors, a lot of people in the industry who have reached out and they've always been very supportive. Whenever I have doubt, I win today. I reach out to a lot of people in the industry. So I have built a huge scale of mentors in the industry that I reach out to uh, for advice. Uh, and whenever I am in a crossroad, and it has always helped. Excellent, uh, Mujay. Sounds very interesting to say, okay, you start with a self-belief and create a safety net around you. 
to ensure that you have somebody to ask and get the answer you are part of a cxo club right ceo for the previous firm how did that, how is that transition did you have to change anything from your persona perspective or uh, how did it is it is a lot different as a cxo uh, thinks that when you are not a cxo you probably don't pay attention to one of the biggest thing of a cxos is to look at culture culture is mostly about future and i'll give you a simple example of what the way i look at culture two families you know bringing up kid children maybe brothers they might build different culture that culture will get encoded as aspiration of the children 15 20 30 years later the children will end up achieving their aspiration which was encoded when they were a kid organizations are like that now i know why uh, you know somebody like to move the used to be so pedantic about culture sea life and you know keep talking about it because when i went in the role i realized that you know you can't be everywhere as a cx so you need to create guide can't write down everything so that guide has to be in terms of a culture that what is acceptable what is not acceptable how you should behave with the customer what you should what should be important what should not be important so culture is something which was like and an unfortunate what happens is you're not really paying attention to culture so that was my biggest thing that i had to change i had to learn a be conscious and aware of culture b uh, then start to make tweaks if my aspiration is different then i need to change the culture you can't have a different aspiration of the same culture it just doesn't work uh, it's very different and i give this example to a lot of people companies don't become big and acquire a different thing because they have a different thing that's happened so they they have that thinking you can be a world class and small or you can be large and shoddy uh, but if you're a world class and small you will become big yeah. so i think culture is something which is a big thing for me when i when i took up in a cxo role the second thing is customers orientation becomes very different uh, as a cxo uh, you start to relate a lot more to customers than you would do other not just about quarter and a year uh, the relationships transcend transcends all this building relationship you're dealing with people and that relationship becomes very very different uh, when you are in a cx role versus when you're just managing an account or a project you can say yeah i know i have a tough luck i can't do this investment because my boss has told me not to invest you can't do all that you have to think about very different paradigm you have to think about you know there is a there's a job being done a business being run there's a whole bunch of economic you know ecosystem dependent on that how can you support that ecosystem how can you be relevant in that ecosystem so thinking is very different when you get into that kind of and i had to make that change you know when i when i got in the complete paradigm shift right you have to your word is uh, you're backing so many people behind you and ahead of you right now we often hear cxos talking about the quarter right they are they have this short vision of you know can i get the next quarter can i get the next one is that in anomaly or in balance with building a culture for a long term no not at all see you have to do both i mean it's like you can't build a sustainable organization if you are not focused on correct it's not possible i think a lot of people look at uh, terms like long term i think oh that means i don't need to worry about it or oh if i am talking about culture that means you know i can let go of these things no absolutely not you still have to it's like being healthy you have to be healthy every day you can't be healthy 3 months from now right so you have to be healthy every day organization is like that you have to worry about it every day and in fact if anything in crisis for example you don't even look at quarter you look at week sometimes days because every day that you do things the decision you take will have an implication for you both in short term and long term so art is balancing these two the art is not to say that oh i'll go after one pivot but that's a easy part everybody can do it the tough thing is to balance both short term and long term and you cannot let go of short term and say it's okay you know i'll survive one day and then i'll deal with it no you can't you have to address the short term you have to make sure you're taking care of short term to be able to survive and grow in the long term 
sometimes you have to cut short term to invest for long term and sometimes you have to cut for long term to survive in the short term and both is right it's very contextual so i mean one my biggest learning was to look back at my journey it took me a while to understand that solutions ideas problems decisions are very contextual there are a lot of grays yeah. so thinking what is right and wrong and what should we do or not do and trying to borrow from a book doesn't work you have to understand the context you have to get to that in that context what is the right thing to do for that specific customer for that specific instance for that specific quarter or decision is the way to way to look at things not to look at oh this is not being done right because that's not the right way to do it and once the decision is made rallying the team for decision so that all the future things are the right decision to ensure that your steps that are taken ke taken is based on the right decision absolutely yeah it's interesting another thing i used to say that in leadership role you take decisions knowing fully well that you might be wrong so if you are going to sit there say how many decisions are right you won't be fooling yourself never think like that you you should know that some decisions that you take will be wrong and still you take the decisions you take the decisions you try to make it right build a feedback loop hear back and if things don't work or if they are not working or somebody is telling you something listen you know junk those decisions you don't have to get married to the decision that oh i have taken a decision and i have to stick by it that's 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 suicidal you should never do that so decisions are it's very funny because i've seen some execs were like oh i can't decide because you know i don't want to be wrong they don't say that but that's how they behave that's wrong because you can't do that if you are in leadership role you have to take decisions sometimes you'll be wrong and it's fine because your intent is right you are trying to do the right thing if you see in a great way to understand this concept is in go into political space people take decisions all the time in political space and a lot of times they are not right but they still take those decisions because they think at that time in that context is the right thing to do now this could be wrong so i think that is very important i think leadership is very leadership should be aware of this right you know decisions need to be taken some may not be right if you are all the reasons are wrong then you are in the wrong role i mean of course <laughs> so some may not be right but you have to follow through feedback loop listen to people make it richer so the best way to make your decision better is to have smart people around who can critic what you are trying to do so that they can tell you oh you've not thought about this you've not thought about that's how you become better you can't become better by having all the answers you have to have people who can give you the answer absolutely it's been a very beautiful conversation mujay our listeners would be uh, super thrilled to hear this uh, any uh, thoughts that you want to share in addition my only thing which i would love to share and i tell this to a lot of people because i see a lot of uh, especially in the current context right there a lot of gloom and doom around uh, people thinking the world is going to end i am extremely excited about india as a story i am extremely excited about our future uh, the young generation in this country is doing fantastic work they are the hope i want people to to keep that that look there is a tremendous opportunity opening up for the world out there all these disruptions will result in the creation of new you know like said in mahabharat right for every new creation the destruction must happen so we are going through that cycle this digital and all of this is some you know destructing to create something new and that new will be something very very good for country like us phenomenal way of connecting our traditional mahabharata current set of things mujhe thank you so much for uh, being here and i appreciate your time and uh, have a great day ahead thanks gayatri thanks for having me it was a pleasure it was great to speak to you too thank you
We thank Siddharth for the music and Malavika for promoting the Software People stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.